Hello and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest, Catherine Fry, has poems published in various anthologies and has won a number of prizes. In 2017, Catherine won a mentorship from the Australian Society of Authors to work with the Sydney poet Brooke Emery on what has become her first poetry collection, Greenpoint Bearings, which was launched this year at the, at the Newcastle Writers' Festival. Catherine, welcome. Thank you, Maggie. It's great to be on the show. Now, before we begin, can I ask you to just open the show by reading the title poem, uh, which won the 2013 Hunter Writer Center um, Members Award? Oh, that would be a privilege. Thank you. Um, Greenpoint Bearing. One, to stepping. Facing a long, slim trunk, lit white among green line and form, the leaves tapering and tough. The trees are cast tags in this set. That fig by the water breaks the picnic through its limbs. Greenpoint lures a cloud and chronicles its past in notes by the track. How it took years, yes, years before this opened for the taking. A reserve offering glints of blue between the columns, exhaling into the mix of moisture and sea salt. A neighbourhood softer than the box and hide of suburban brick, a semblance of the once wild, a remnant to step in, to seek from. Now Laura Keats hurtles through the curve of the hill, the sea eagle rises above spotted gum, the glisten in his sweep. Fish spring above a cormorant's chase, the lake rough with breaking eddies. Opposite, a gully goes out of sight, covered in tangle. Myrtle honey slips in on a breeze, and I think of the places we used to walk, the words said in the company of guns. Two, a virtual midden. I'm taking green point bearings across the lapse of time. A river valley becomes a lake holding bark canoes, murmurings of a wabacle. Over the centuries, fence shells and the sandy gravel have rolled into bleached bits by my feet. Once by a river you said, Schubert is in the rapids. The world brightens. Below the lookout on water blue as the sky's day, a quarry gouged the millennia's conglomerate, smooth now to parkland. A magpie pins his lizard. You could read a land like this, could summit seasons in a span. Not a dear, you called yourself, and many. Nearby, a powerful owl rests in a mahogany. Years-old timber topples and turns to huts, shingles and walls, Pick props and bricks to ferry the Tasman, to take Monaghan, the Eliza Mary. Today above the pier, dollar birds cackle and hawk the flies, a man casts the fish. Many past mines scoured the great northern and fascicorn scene, their split and cherry. Seventy-two down Belmont's golden pillar, a golden egg in the lockout of thirty-nine. I'm walking in a virtual midden from blackjacks to Hartley Point, reeling in cadences of lost voices, letting your laughter hide among you, and the way you throw out your arms, as if in gathering, you belong. Three, even in wind, southern from the south or west, tingling winds, fishing from, sashaying branches, tossing butterflies, the bellbirds feeling a melody in high E and death, in irregular time, tuning me to you, Elder voice on my shoulder. Or a legacy like yours. 
There was rain overnight, running from the sleigh into frog holes and insect havens. On the hill, the canopies hung. Today there's no smog in the south, nor smoke. The birds are out, the sun angles, so it woos them at midday. Pardalos and loons hanging jostling for airplay with whip and butcher birds. Even we build in the high leaves, singing up the rainy moon. The equinox just passed. Sensing the years running. He would stop and breathe in the scene as if it were all the many years. And so I know Greenpoint is a sanctuary of soil and sound and light slanting on gum tips and bracken, shimmer on water and wind, a mirror on the calm of silence and stillness. The sun's rays on clumps, thunders are like greens and pinks, the seahorses, seaheads and fish, from here at the top of the cliff face, among a wide skirt stand too high for logging, a legacy like yours, this gift in the common good of literal forests. Ripples come clear to the foreshore pedals in that. Pocket rainforest closes on flowing creeks, paperbarks and low ferns. So um, I asked you to read that poem first because I think in many ways it's, um, of course, it's often what the title poem is, but it's like an anchor for the whole of the book. It seems it to is, me. Maggie, because we, we came and to, we moved to Belmont and we chose this area. Well, one of the main reasons was because it was close to this area, um, the reserve. It offers so much with its history, and I think I touched on it in the poem, so much from the Awabakal people and the white settlers, and, and now we have this uh, quite lovely bushland to, to walk through. With, and it has a, a little bit of rainforest, pocket rainforest. So um, to have, and you can walk, you can spend a couple of hours easily going through it. So it's, it's, it's enough for a day. A really wonderful resource. Um, mm. Couldn't resist. <laughs> Did you build, when you pulled the book together as a collection, did you build it around the title poem? Was that sort of the the one that kind of, um, I guess, told you what other poems needed to come next to it? Um, it seemed to be the umbrella to put everything under because all of the poems had had their final version here. And most of them, maybe 90% of them, were written here in the years since we've been here, even though I had little versions of them, only a couple of them before then. So uh, they're mostly based in Sydney Sands, Terence Rock, actually, um, and it seemed, it just fitted. It, I didn't have to think too much about it. It just seemed to um, be right for the book because it had bearings in the title and I felt it was through to this stage of our lives when we were setting up in this area. It, yeah, it wasn't hard to group them in under this title. Yes. Yeah, I didn't so have anything... I think. Yes, and it has so many of the, the common themes that, that run through the book, you know, inheritance, the natural environment, the relationship between the human and, and the natural, and, you know, who we are, or, have, or finding oneself in, you know, in this environment. Yes, yes. Um, there are people in here, too. Um, there's a section on greater than the sun that has a lot of memories of people. Um, but they, I, I guess because they were all written in this area, that's how they would, would fit in together. Mm. Yeah. I love the time lapse. 
as well. This idea of kind of a, all of time being, you know, visible in the space of, of where you are now. Well, um, I think that comes from always liking to be somewhere near a bit of bush and thinking about the rock and how long the rock... One of our, one of our children is a geologist and if we ever talk about climate change, he's, he's sort of quite cool about it because he says the earth will survive. <laughs> you know, so the earth is, is really the, um, the start of everything, isn't it? The rock and the soil and then what grows from it. So, and then that supports all of life that's in that area. So... If you go out and you're just always faced with that, away from the buildings behind you and into that sort of environment, it's just, um, it just takes over. So, yeah, that's why it's, I suppose a theme through, through the book is always there. I think with Mark, you know, at the, at the launch yesterday, Mark said there's always a bird in, in, um, in his ponds. Well, I, I feel a bit that way too. A plant or a bit of soil or a bird, something from the natural world that comes in. Yes, that was a, a good little lesson, <laughs> what proportions of natural to human there should be. Yes, yes, I think so. And when, when I do get out there, it's often um, memories of somebody who comes back in, in that setting. And I try and place that, something of that relationship within, in, in the setting then. Yes. Do that. Yes. Not always easy. So. Well, there's I'm often... Thinking, Sorry. <laughs> There's often a little grief sometimes in, in the poems too that comes through, the sort of a, a processing of grief in the context of the environment. Mm, well, it's um, a very healing place out in the, in the bush. And I suppose we, everybody has suffering and has to deal with grief in some level or other. And um, I always find that, that you get a lot of solace and spiritual awareness and nurturing in, in the bush. So you will get um, these thoughts of people who aren't there or have been really instrumental and wonderful in my life anyway, and uh, that will mix in in that um, setting. Mm. Yeah, so you, you had a, a mentorship, you won a mentorship, I think, um, with the poet Brooke Emery. Um, how, how did that work? What, what did you do? Were you working solely around um, Greenpoint Bearings? Um, well, actually, it turned out to be like that. It was a wonderful year. Um, I was very grateful to the ASA for giving me that. Um, how we worked it, uh, I just would send half a dozen poems to Brooke, and he would send back his comments on the side. And he said he wasn't the poet doctor, but often, um, often it was about eliminating words. I had too many words. Occasionally, about transposing a section, and I often. After reading his comments, I'd think, oh, why didn't I think that? <laughs> so they were good. They were generally really uh, fantastic comments, and they helped me fine-tune the other poems, and I felt more confident then to um, have them published uh, by using Jared Press. Um, that's how we worked. So I did about six or seven lots of six, around six poems, and uh, then they sort of fell easily into the sections in the book, although he did make uh, a significant suggestion by asking me to put Holding Firm at the end, whereas I placed it in with the people section. And I thought that was good too, so I, I went along with that. Most of the time I followed his suggestions because I could see the benefit of them. Occasionally I'd dig in my heels, but that didn't matter. <laughs> so with, 
I'm really very, very grateful for that mentorship and um, uh, for his insight. He's got a lot of expertise, as has other poets in this area. We've got a lot of good poets in um, in Newcastle area, haven't we? We certainly um, do. It's it's really quite amazing how many how many um, top of the range poets there there are here. But with the ASA mentorship, you have to choose a mentor, a poet, or some a writer that they offer mentorship to other in other genres. You have to choose from their list, and um, Brooke was, was on that list, and I chose him. And very luckily for me, he accepted. Mm. But with um, and then he he accepted my invitation to launch the book. I couldn't have been more thrilled because he knew it, you know. Mm. And he did a fabulous job too. Were there any poems that were particularly tricky or that uh, that Brooke worked you harder on than others? Uh, no, some of my, at the, the last lot, I think it was, I can't remember how many sets, but there wasn't a set of um, other poems that I felt were pretty light and most of them didn't get in. He felt that too. I just needed what, his thoughts on, on that. So... Um, I was hoping that I could work them into something better and, and um, I think we just leave them for a bit. So um, all, all, most of the poems that I sent to him, um, um, yeah, I'm just trying to think were there any that we worked a lot. No. I think the overriding comments were to take out words, that's my memory, rather than cutting things short or working really hard on them because I... I had already done a lot of work because I'm part of um, under um, Writers' Centre Poetry Group and we, we meet once a month and we workshop poems. So I have done some work on all of them. You know, they weren't first drafts. Sometimes they were the 30th draft, that sort of thing. They were not, as well as I could get them. Yes. Nearly ready publication, but not quite there. And I think he, for my purposes, he raised them where I couldn't, so that was a wonderful um, activity to be involved in this mentorship. And I encourage anybody to go for it. <laughs> yes. And it happens the year that they award these, so mm. the opportunity is there. Yes, yes, it's, it sounds amazing. Um, one quality, and this certainly came through in the title poem, um, but I think it's through all of your poems, is this notion of... of just paying attention, something that, you know, it seems obvious and yet we tend not to do it. In the modern world, less and less so. It's a, you know, there's a lot of noise around. Um, this idea yeah. of, you know, just really stop and look and listen and, you know, you'll see stuff. I think I really have to thank my Ian for that, my husband, because he's a very much, very observant person. And I think I tend to race through things, always have. But with him um, out, in the bush, I will walk more slowly and look at more things. Um, so that, that's been a great influence on my life too. Thank mm. you for that. But other people who've been uh, very influential, um, I've been people who've appreciated the natural world. There was one person who, who died just recently, and she was a neighbour in Canberra, and an elderly neighbour, and um, loved, had lived for many years at Brindabella Station, so she knew the country very, very well. And people like that, you know, who really appreciated the land that we live in. And I guess anybody who's lived on the land, and Aboriginal people included, um, they really know the country very well and know the seasons and like to 
stay with them. Uh, yeah, um, it is nice to, to stop and, um, and look. Kind of, it's, it's a buzzword at the moment, mindfulness, isn't it? It's, it's mm. the way of being mindful too in the bush. Mm. Yes. Healthy. And an invitation to the reader, I think. Um, one of the poems that does that so strongly, it's, it's not a long poem, but it, it really, um, really seems to connect with the reader and say, you know, <laughs> you, you should stop. Um, that's so. Could I get you to read that one? It's page 17. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that came. One of the first things I did when I came, well, the very first thing I did when we came to this region was to, when we knew we were coming, I joined up behind the writer's centre because it was going to be my focus. And the other one, I, I, I joined the Newcastle Ramblers, and, and they were walking from Sydney to Newcastle, Great North Walk. So this poem came from part of that walk. All right, I'll read it. So, if you like the flash and set of flowers up against each other in stippled light and a sandstone rise, the track, a multicolour of leaves or quartz white sand on a ridge. If you like to hike a hundred metres above the water lines at Nile Badu Lookout, where the creeks join, and look down between trees and the wedge peas' eyes of sun. If you like to listen to the puddle of Rookbird and the silence of a fragile marsh, and to stride the hills from crosslands to Cowan, hearing yellow tails above the baronies, thumbing. It is fun, yes, and and really makes me want to come. (laughs) It's a good walk, actually. I hope they do it again because it's just beautiful. And we did it very gently um, once a month through the cooler months of the year, about eight times in the year. And um, the beauty of it was as we were walking from June on, we saw the different flowers coming out. It was unbelievable. You could see the the forest changing. Like a gift. It was, yes. It was really like, it wasn't that easy. That particular part of the walk wasn't so easy. The hills, there were three ones, three hills, and they were quite, it was a good workout. (laughs) Yes, it's, the, the the taking the time and the attention, um, I mean, a lot of it does happen in the natural world, but it's not solely the natural world in this collection. There's also ekphrasis. So, you know, a lot of poems based on really paying attention to, to paintings and music as well. Yes, well, that's somebody else's creativity, isn't it? It deserves to be witnessed or honoured or whatever. Mm. Yes. Yes. Could I get you to now read um, one of the Margaret Ollie um, poems, which is Chinese Pots and Lemons on 41? Oh, yes, I'll read that. And the beauty of that one is I chose that because the Newcastle Art Gallery actually has that painting. Mm. Wonderful. Chinese Pots and Lemons, 1982. Flowers in vases and fruits, that's all there is to them. Margaret Olive, 1953-2011. I cannot know how an artist thinks. His flourish and glint, a meditation more teal than tea green, more mint than myrtle, more jade than celadon. Nor have I known two deaths as those that year. Her mother Grace, lover Sam. How she reached to hold close the palette, the blank board. How she placed. How she brushed russet, umber, and a little sienna into the effort of bench background and woven wicker and what was not. 
Watch his face curve and lift, belly and thin handle, ridge, neck and short base, gold hip and glaze, lemon leaf, wisp and clouds right before the fall. She's incredible, isn't she? And um, an icon, really, in, in this area. Very generous to the art gallery, doing a lot of her work. Yes, yes. Yes, and you, you actually, I, I don't know if you headed it up, but you certainly participated heavily in uh, an entire collection built around Margaret Ollie's work, didn't you? Oh, yes, yes. Well, that came from our um, poetry group. Um, mm. In the year that she died, someone had written a poem, and then it was suggested, Alex suggested that we all write, and so we got together and we did, and, and published the book, um, I think it was the year, the year 2016, it was launched at that. Newcastle Writers Festival, mm. and it was a, a fun thing to do, an interesting idea to have just um, the focus on Margaret's work and life, and um, we had support from the Hunter Writers Centre and support from the council too. We were able to get an image of the other painting, of the other um, self-portrait that Newcastle Art Gallery holds in its collection, and that went onto the cover of the book, so it was a very exciting time. Group. It's a wonderful, um, this, this whole notion really of immersing oneself either in the environment or in another person's work of art, it seems a kind of interesting balance of, you know, hubris and also humility. Um, this idea of firstly feeling that, you know, you have the right to, to really get into it, you know, to really participate in the, in the process of defining what this is. And at the same time of really letting your, your own ego go and, and actually allowing this other thing that somebody else has created or that is there already to, you know, to unfold? Well, it's a way of honouring the work and keeping it alive, but mm. um, also of using it as a soundboard and recreating something. So I'm hoping it's a win-win for everything. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but essentially, to me, it's a way of looking as deeply as I can at the work and honouring it, really. Mm. Trying to reflect how it's meaning. Because they put a lot of something into it, haven't they? Yes, I, I mean, uh, I, I feel like this whole participation process is really what art is all about, about these connections. Yes, as is poetry. Mm. Um, as is poetry. Right. That wonderful quote, quite like Jane. You know, you know Jane Hirschfield, you would know her. Mm -hmm. Yes, wonderful. Written so much, not only in her own poems, but also about poetry. She's written such wonderful words, and I think some of her quotes that resonate with me, sort of good poems restore amazement, and I always think that's right. And there's that other one, a good poem is a, a solvent, a kind of WD-40 for the soul. Is she yeah. having it out with melancholy? <laughs> uh, I... Oh, yeah, both. I think that was her. And um, can we also, um, since we, we've come to the topic of melancholy, can we talk a little bit about this notion of, of grace from loss, which it seems another aspect. We touched on it earlier, but this, um, it seems to me prevalent in a lot of your work, the idea of, of the solace of passing on the genes and the transcendent of a moment to perhaps provide something permanent in the face of loss. Yes, I suppose it uh, helps one to, to go on when you've had 
loss of some sort. You have to go on, don't you? To get the beauty in what you've seen and carry it with you, it's a great comfort. Um, and I guess I saw that in, we went to Wendy Whiteley's garden and she was there and uh, told us her story, you know, the secret garden at Lavender Bay in mm. Sydney. She told us her, her story and, uh, and how she was honouring uh, Brett, her former husband, and Archie, their daughter who died from cancer, through recreating a garden out of what was been a dump. And um, I had to write that in a poem. I thought it was so, it's such a beautiful garden. Now there's a good story because the council are going to have it established as a garden for, um, I think there's at least, I'm not sure of the details, but it, she was hope, hoping that she would that it could remain as a public asset and, and it will, will remain so. So, and look at the, the bounties you've given the people who, who go there, all this beautiful leaf structure, because she's quite an artist in the way she puts plants, she, um, she likes the form and structure of leaves and the colours to that resonate, bounce off each other, and you get that as you walk through the garden. Mm. And it's all about doing something from loss. So it's good it comes from it, yeah. Can I ask you to please read, since you've mentioned it now, um, All the Willing Hours, which is page 16. Okay. Yes, I will. Yeah. That was um, the line that I wrote down. I was very grateful for that. It just flipped in. There's this lovely sculpture in the garden, and it's it's inscribed. It has words inscribed in it. And we shall walk and talk in gardens all misty with rain and never, never grow so old again in her garden and it's in my poem, all the way now. Narrow paths centre the terraces through thick and flame and bungalow paths. Leaves jostle the stories with shape and shade and tint any leaf will take. A sanctuary with roots in her childhood. Lavender Bay her own rampant alchemy to wander in. And for us too, picnic tables, a bell hanging in meditation, a bird bath from a cast-out sink. With her hair wrapped in folds of iris blue, Wendy tells how she replaced the debris among the coral trees, cutting by cutting, plant by plant and mulch, to revere them here, her lover, their daughter. At all the willing hours, Bloom unexpected grace from loss. Hmm. That's um, that yes, it's true. Such a beautiful transcendent poem, and of course, the quote being Van Morrison's beautiful song "Sweet Thing," which I love. Ah, didn't look that up. It's hard to find where it come from. I yeah. can't recall off the top of my head at the moment. Yes, I, it's it's Van Morrison. It's uh, it's a really good song. I sent you a link. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, yes, absolutely wonderful. And, I, you know, I love, the, I love the contrast, too, between, you know, Wendy Whiteley's art versus, for example, and you can't help but think of Brett's art. And, and I, you know, I, I love Brett Whiteley's work, but it, it's very masculine comparatively and, and sort of fixed in its way oh, in contrast know. to this garden. Yeah. Beautiful, they just, mm. they just got gender related, I think. And she was his muse, you know. 
True. Uh, yeah. Mm. Just but an interesting was, contrast of types of art, I suppose. Yes. Yes. Well, she gave up her art, I think, that mm. took after his, and then I think they, I'm right, they, they um, divorced because he wouldn't get off the drugs. Sorry. I think that's the story, anyway. Yes. Um, As I understand yeah, she it. Worked her art through, through the garden now. That was my understanding after talking to her. Mm. Yes. So um, I, I, we're nearly out of time. It goes very fast. Um, and I know the book has not been out very long, and you're probably still a little bit in promotion mode. But are you working on something new, or another collection perhaps, or a particular piece? Just pieces, yes. Um, you never stop, do you, because uh, that's the call of it, I think. Mm. Just thinking about... Um, Writing other pieces, there is there is someone I'm trying to write about. Um, people do draw me, so and the, the strengths of, of them. But I'll, I'll leave it in case it doesn't go anywhere. You know, some don't go anywhere. But yes, I'll I'll keep trying, keep writing. Um, but there was a sense of closure with this book being published. That was interesting. There was sort of a huge drive. I think I felt to to get it going and. Um, and after it was launched, yes, it was a kind of closed closing. So it hasn't been quite the same, but I think it hasn't stopped yet. Yes, of course not. And I guess that's the joy of poetry too. Um, what what keeps drawing us to it is this this idea that you know we keep we keep seeing, we keep you know observing, and we keep processing. It's a practice, isn't it? Yes, and um, and reading, there's so many different poets. When I take the train to Sydney, I always take a, a volume of poetry. And one of the most influential volumes I used to love were the, the Best Australian Poems. That's how I started rereading poetry because there'd been a big hiatus between school and and um, having family and work. Um, I actually got into poetry because of the busyness of that time and I found I wasn't able to read a novel. And so I just read a, a short one-page poem and feel at the end of the day and feel like I'd really got somewhere. They're often very rich. Um, so I turned to poetry and through the best Australian poems, those anthologies, I started to see the names and, and started to want to read more of a particular person and and I realised how rich the poetry scene in Australia is. I don't know so much about poetry from other countries because it's taken all my time just to find out about the poets here. And then, as we said earlier, the poets in this area um, have many, quite a few, have several publications and, and offer huge uh, variety in their writing. The wordplay and the um, intelligent, clever use of words and the music. Yeah, we're not to take on just by, by reading. Yes, why don't we end with Gathering Paradise? Can you recommend one or two or have one or two um, particular pieces of work really struck you in the last, you know, month or so? Gathering Paradise? Yeah, well, just this, oh. this idea of, um, you know, maybe uh, just talking about something that's really struck you out there in the world of poetry that is, is wonderful. Well, yes, uh... Oh, well, I'll just go from what I, I was down in Sydney on the weekend and I took Jean in Kent's Paris in my pocket. I love working our way up to the angels. And I also took John Fulcher's 101 poems and and um, 
but that's not, I don't know when that was published. Not, it's not his most recent, um, 2015, I think. And the difference between the density in working our way up to the angels and the um, star, say, in John Fulcher, the expansiveness there, it's just mind-blowing, really, the, the skill that these people have. It's lovely. Mm. So um, they're a couple, and they just are so different, and yet they spoke. Those angels and star had something in common, didn't they? Yes, um, wonderful. So that, that's weekend, and I might pick up another, you know, um, anthology and, and just just start reading it. At the moment, I, I should start. I have started to read Steve Armstrong's new book, which was launched yesterday, Broken Ground, and I haven't got very far with it yet, but I will. Yes, I've just started that too. So we'll be reading the same thing. We can compare notes. Yes, we will. <laughs> oh, we can compare notes. <laughs> that's good. Wonderful. That, uh, Catherine, that's all we have time for. I'm sure we could go on for another couple of hours, and, and we will at another time for sure. Um, but thank you so much for coming today to talk to me, and uh, good luck with the book. And I'll include you know, links to the book and uh, everything else that we talked about in the show notes. Thank you very much, Maggie. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Bye, Bye. for now. Bye-bye.